Welcome to a live and kick in the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than a changing room smelling of Lynx Africa. My name's Ash Rose, your host, your guide on this. What is it? Yes, you know the drill. The original 1990s football podcast. And it's now back for episode, I want to say a 139. I counted the other day, but now the actual final number has escaped me. But yeah, we're closing in... I suppose a 150, which is crazy when you think about it. That's a lot of hours of 1990s football chat. So if this is the first time or one of the first times you're listening to the show, go back in the archive. There's loads of 90s football chat, loads of guests, loads of themes. We've, we were the original. We're the original 1990s football podcast. So, yeah, it's uh, thank you for joining us along this ride, and hopefully you will continue to do so. Um, saying that, though, I will give a shout-out to a new very much 1990s podcast. It's called Searching for Shinies. It's hosted by Matt Ketchell, friend of the show. He was last with us when we talked Alan Shearer. I think it was just before Christmas. Big Newcastle fan, uh, somebody I've worked with closely in the kids' media football world. He's launched a new podcast where the basic premise is they have the 1997 Merlin's Premier League sticker album and they're trying to track down pretty much every sticker, every footballer that's in it to interview them, which is a great concept. Um, I know firsthand how difficult it can be in getting some guests on these shows. So I um, sympathise with Matt um, with the job at hand. But they've made a great start. They've had Steve Chettle and Craig Hignett and Lee Dixon, who some of them, of course, have been on this show as well. Great listen. Um, it's more long form, to be honest. You know, our interviews are usually sandwiched in between a subject or a theme that we're talking about that day. The I think Matt's theme is pretty much the guest. So you get more of a long form, I'd say, than some of the interviews um, that we've done. So it depends what your flavour is on terms of podcast. But yeah, it's well worth a listen. Uh, listen. It's called The Shiny Pod on Twitter as well. So give those guys a listen and a follow because I'm sure we'll be talking to them again at some point as well. Talking of 90s books and projects and stuff, my new 90s football project is also almost there to tell you about as well. I allude to it in today's show as I've been speaking to John Salako this week, who's helping me out on bits and bobs, which may be a slight hint. It may not be. Uh, can't quite reveal everything yet, but when I do, I will let you guys know. And I'm sure you'll be sick to death of me speaking about it when I can on Twitter and I hear on the show. So, yeah, that's coming. And it l- leads me nicely to say that we also have somebody on the show today who's written a brand new book on 90s football. When the Seagulls Follow the Trawler is the name of the book. Of course, you'll know that as the famous quote from Eric Cantona, which I I believe, as I record that, actually, I think it's the anniversary. I think we say that on the show. And yeah, it's great. It's a kind of a rundown of the highs, the lows, the the funny moments, the not so funny moments in the 1990s. Tom Whitworth is his name. Brand new book from Pitch Publishing, of course, um, which is out now. You can win a copy as well. So if you like what Tom says on the show and you want to copy of the book, get on the Twitter feed at AK90s and enter the competition that should be live as we speak. But uh, Tom joins me and Joel and Matthew and the gang as we chat on a theme that we've called One Something Wonders today. Now, we were going to go with One Season Wonders, but we're kind of researching it a little bit. We realised that, especially when it comes to players, the 1990s wasn't really the decade for 
that kind of description of players. It really did come more into the 2000s, which we do talk about. And you think of the names of Marcus Stewart and Michu and Amiyazaki, one season wonders. So we kind of stretched it a little bit. There are teams that fall under that category, but we've called it one something wonders. So it means it could be, you know, a shorter stint, a longer stint, more like a flash in the pan type players and teams and managers we also go into as well. So interesting topic today. And also there's, you know, the usual... 90s nonsense tangents that we always go down on this show which i'm sure you'll appreciate so yeah enjoy today's show it's one something wonders and enjoy tom's book because it, it tell, i tell you what as somebody who's written a 90s book it's killer so it's well worth a purchase um enjoy today's show keep it 90s everyone You're listening to the original 1990s football podcast, Alive and Kicking. And we're back for another episode. And we've got all the gang together today, which is always very nice. And a newbie. So let me introduce my fellow 90s lovers. Firstly, here's a writer. He is a blogger. And he's got his own podcast that's in the top 20 of some chart that he texted us this morning. <laughs> Host of Life with Brian, Life of Brian podcast with Brian McClare. It's Life with Brian. Otherwise, otherwise, you'll have Michael Palin on your case. Yeah. How's it going, Matthew? I'm all right. I just wanted to say I can't really take a lot of the credit because if you've ever listened to that show, you'll know it's basically Brian just talking and talking and talking to me every now and again, telling him to stop talking. So I can't really take a lot of the credit, but... Um, you know, when you're working with a legend that is McClare, you're going to get a lot of people interested, and that's obviously what's what's happened. So uh, we're just riding the crest of the wave at the minute. But I know where my loyalties lie. Yeah, no, I've listened to it. It's very good. You've had some good guests, Pat Nevin, Paddy Barkley. You've done, you know, you've yeah. had some good guests there. So well done, sir. Very, very interesting. Um, joining us, and as always, he's part of the Alive and Kicking Furniture, a social media mogul, the head of Janino Fan Club, whatever moniker you want to give him. He's Joe Young. How you doing, Joe? I'm very well, thank you, Ash. I'm just about to say there to uh, Matthew, Michael Palin isn't going to come after anyone. He's a very nice man. No, I don't doubt it, but, you know, I wouldn't want to step on anyone's toes. But with the... Well, you know, I mean, well, who, I mean who's, who's you know still alive from the past? I imagine Cleese, I imagine, would be quite litigious. But you might remember this. Life with Brian was also the title of an album from about 1992 by a band called Flowered Up. Yes, now, yes, yes, yes. I, I was trying think, to think there, yeah. I don't think any of them, I think a few of them aren't alive either, so... They between... just entered the chart on top of the Pops 1990. Yeah, well, maybe it's topical there. So hopefully yeah. between, between um, yeah, between those two different groups of people, uh, none of them are going to come chasing after us for the name. Oh, the well, that's so. good, that's that's good, yeah. It's the the scallies have flowered up coming to chase you <laughs> around the streets of Liverpool. Right, that's part <laughs> of uh, Matthew's podcast, that's, that's move on, uh, because we're joined... Uh, for the first time as well by a guest, somebody who's got a new book out, and it's a book totally in our remit as well. Um, joins the exclusive club of me in writing a book about 90s football. If there's others out there, I'm, I'm sure there is. I know there's one in the works, but I can't uh, can't tell you about anything about them. God, don't. That got me into trouble. <laughs> Did it? Okay. We'll yeah. say no more. <laughs> we'll say no more. Uh, but but join us for the first time, author Tom Whitworth. Tom, um, I've got your book here. It's called When the Seagulls Follow the Trawler. Explain all. Hi guys, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so yeah, the the book is about the whole of the nineties football, mainly in England. And uh, the title, as uh, most people know, is the is the famous quote from Cantona, who's sort of front and centre on the cover on the cover as well. So it's just all about nineties football, different clubs, 
different stories, what happened in the 90s. Yep, it's out now from uh, Pitch Publishing as well, from, I'd say all good bookshops, but we're still not allowed to go to bookshops. So from Amazon and, and, and all that, other websites and stuff. Well, where did it, where did, what inspired you, Tom? Where did the idea come from? Obviously a love of, as we do, 90s football, but, you know, where, what did, where was that spark to say, oh, there's a book here? Uh, I think the spark was, so it was, the 90s was when I grew up and uh, when I really got into football and I can remember a lot more about that time than probably last weekend's football, for example. <laughs> yeah. uh, Join the club. Yeah, well, that was that England game, wasn't it, last weekend? Yeah. So I really remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it seemed to be that the, the play, some of the players and, uh, you know, people like Robbie Fowler and, and Canton are obviously, Bergkamp, just, it just seemed to get quite exciting and, and, one thing I thought I'd, I wanted to kind of look at in the story was the idea of it being a decade of change for, for football as well and quite a lot of things happening. Um, the money and finances from the Premier League, um, the influence of overseas players and also um, just how, I, I guess, like the, the, the prominence of the game in terms of uh, the culture, uh, br- uh, popular culture in Britain and how that all seemed to all happen in the decade and Lots and lots of stories, as you guys know, about that time. So I thought I'd write about it. We've talked about it a bit on here. <laughs> this is episode 139, I think I counted up the other day. So Crazy. I know, we're still finding corners of the 90s to talk about, which is what we're doing today. So yeah, it's great to have you along. I love the pictures you've chosen for the cover as well, that ghastly Chelsea shirt, which is one of my favourite shirts with Ridley in it as well, Burkamp. The cream suits, of course. Um, I think that's quote is his anniversary tomorrow, actually, the when the seagulls. I think that's tomorrow, if I read somewhere earlier today, that's the anniversary of that famous... Was that 17 years? Um, and the rest? And the rest, 20-something. 25? 20, no, 26. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm doing my sums wrong for some reason. I was 1995, thinking. wasn't it? It'll yeah. be 27 years. 27 25, years. 26 years. Yeah. 26, yeah. We'll get there yeah. eventually. It's not a maths podcast. We're fine. Um, as you're a yeah. newbie, Tom, we obviously ask all, all the new guests uh, our two questions that we usually call our 90s football CV. Um, you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan, which I don't think we've had too many of. And as I was saying, preamble, Matthew, you'll remember when we did our 90s 11 a few weeks ago, we had a lot of Wednesday players unintentionally included in that, didn't we? So it's um, Yeah, well, Wednesday is very much a, a club of the 90s. And yeah. I'm going to get my first book in here, but I mean, and the 80s as well, but um, I'm not allowed to talk about that. But, no, so very, that. very much a club of the 90s. If, that, if, if that's an, if, I don't mean that in an offensive way, but I mean, it was, they were stalwarts of that decade in, in my The memory. Mr. Tom shirts, the Asda shirts. Asda, yeah, totally Asda. Sanderson. Sanderson, yeah. It's all about the kit sponsors. Um, so, Tom, your favourite Sheffield Wednesday player of the 1990s. Now, I have a sneaking suspicion you're going to say a certain England left-sided midfielder, but you might surprise me. Go on. Um, well, that that will probably be in, in sort of the uh, the top three, that uh, that that uh, player. But it, for me, it'd be David Hurst, striker. Oh, mm. As good as... I mean, we always talk about the 90s strikers as being sort of the plethora of the, the choice that England had. He never really got a chance at England level. Well, he, he was, he's going to appear in a little chat we had later, actually. Uh, but how good was he in compared to, you know, the, the rest of the, you know, the, the strikers we had at the time at, in England level? I think he was up there, particularly in, in the early 90s. He scored a lot of goals for Wednesday. Man, uh, Alex Ferguson was very interested in signing him on a number of occasions for Manchester United. Um he he struggled with injuries sort of a few years later, unfortunately, and that and and he kind of is, I guess his career sort of petered out, you might say, because of that, which was unfortunate. But he was so fast, 
such a great finisher and just a great a great player for Wednesday. And he did did men, uh, make it for England. And I think uh, the, there's one game possibly where I think he was replaced by Alan Shearer or, or started with Shearer <laughs> and Shearer might have scored. And Hurst didn't. I'm not saying things would have been different because that's an excellent player, but uh, he was he was really good and, and, and a total hero of the fans, definitely. Yeah, he's very Sheffield Wednesday, isn't he? Would you have had him at Man United, Matthew? I remember him. Well, I don't know who was flirting with who. I, I think it was Ferguson was very much after him in the... <coughs> Ooh, that late, sort of probably from about 89, 90, 91, that kind of era. Uh, obviously looking for somebody to compliment Brian McClare up front right. uh, and, okay, and possibly Mark Hughes. Brian McClare, you mean, you're going to get, right? <laughs> well, United struggled, as we know, and as much as they had Hughes and McClare up front, Ferguson quite often said the reason they didn't win leagues or didn't win as much in his early days was because they just couldn't score goals. And that cost them famously in that 91, 92 season, uh, just couldn't score goals. And uh, I know, I remember Hurst being mentioned many a time with United. I never knew why why it didn't happen, whether it's his choice, whether it was the, the club didn't want to sell him. Um, but no, he was, he was a player I'd love to see. I, I thought he was one of those. He, I remember him doing quite well against United when he when he played against them as well. So he was one of those players. Shop window, Matthew. Shop window. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I just remember um, definitely thinking he was one of the, I remember in that era that every club seemed to have a player that you were scared of. You know, every time you looked at the fixture list, you think Sheffield went, oh, David Hurst. And Every time you play someone, you you know, QPR, Andy Sinton, um, all those kind of key names that would crop up. And you notice that he misses out Middlesbrough there. Yeah, I was, I'm still trying to think of one. Bernie Slade. Um, okay. Yeah, Bernie Slade. John Hendry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I got, don't know why it happened. Uh, I don't know if, if anyone else knows, but, um, you know, whether he's kicking himself like Shearer might be these days that he didn't join, I don't know, but I'm hear, sure he's I not. I don't hear much. I mean, there are a couple of ghost Hurst Twitter accounts, aren't there, Tom? I don't know if you've come across them on Twitter, but I don't really know what David Hurst does these days. Do you? Is he is he in contact with the club at all, or do you know what David Hurst does? Um, I don't know exactly what his sort of role is now, but um, his son George Hurst was a Wednesday player a few years okay. ago, oh, and he's now with uh, Leicester via the Belgian club. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how sort of strong the relationship is now. Because of, because of that, maybe. But um, okay. he's, uh, he's not been... I think he was a coach for a little while at Wednesday, coaching the strikers, which, uh, which was good, I think. Do you think it was just that he was a sort of a loyal man and he didn't want to leave? I mean, did he ever make noises about leaving when United came sniffing? Or was it... Do you know, do you know anything about why he didn't go? I think... Um, I've probably not got this 100% right, but I think that I don't think... Trevor Francis wanted to sell him in the one at least one of the occasions where United were were interested. So I'm I'm not sure what um, what David said about that in in the years since then. But I think he I think he might have been interested in a move if it could have happened. I'd say, yeah. and I think uh, I think injuries got in the way of one potential move as well. I think that was the the era when the players had very little say in whether they were going to move or not, wasn't it? I mean, it's the, the old day. Nowadays, if he mm. wanted to go or, or a club came sniffing, then he would probably have said, right, I'm off. But back then, if the manager didn't want to sell, then you weren't going anywhere. So I assume, mm. I assume that was the case. Here's our first one of these, Ash. David Hurst, one goal for England in three appearances. Who is his goal against? Oh, God. I'm surprised he had three appearances, actually. Three appearances, one goal. I I don't even, I actually don't recall his goal. I, which what, is, what year? I, 
I want to say... 1991, New Zealand. I was going to say, was it in a summer tournament? Was it... (laughs) Because... 8th of June, 1991, in the friendly against New Zealand with Chingland. I should have known that because, sorry to semi-name drop here, I I was speaking to John Salarco before I spoke to you guys for another project that I'm working on at the moment. And he made his debut, England debut across those games in 1991. I think he got five caps. And I was literally looking at those games while talking to him. So I should have actually clocked the fact that... So that would have been the sort of start of the, the Graham Taylor era, Yeah, Taylor. It? Yeah, it was that kind of, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, transitional period between Taylor and, and Robson, um, uh, from Robson to Taylor, I should say. Um, mm. so there were a lot of rogue caps being given out, not that, you know, they didn't deserve them, but there were, you know, summer tournaments, it's often you get some interesting caps kieran richardson in the latter days for anyone um tom we we talked a lot about Dave there but what was your favorite <laughs> player outside of hillsborough of the 1990s um i'd probably say Bergkamp. i think for me wow. um i was up there wrote a lot about him in the book but um but for Bergkamp, just what what a player and i love watching him and watching him well past the 90s as well I think, yeah, he's been talked about a lot on this. Um, we haven't done a Burkham episode, have we? Which is surprising. No, we've done Ian Wright. We've done Ian Wright, haven't we? We'll definitely do a Burkham one, a Burkham, Burkham one in the future, because as I always say, like, for me, best import the Premier League's ever ever seen up there with the Omri's and Ronaldo's and the Guerreros as well, which I was debating on Twitter last night. I know that's far too current to, to, to talk about, but definitely for me. Um, right, let's get a crack on then, because um, this is a theme we're calling... One something wonders. This, that isn't a typo or an autocorrect on my phone or the description. We were going to go one season, but we realised that actually there's there's certain areas that we could go down that don't actually cover a season because they could be a shorter stint, could be a slightly longer stint. So we're calling it something. So it's it's so it'll come self-explanatory. Although Matthew's still not sure. We, as we go, we will. We'll, we'll, well, we've just done it there, David Hurst. Yeah. One goal wonder. One goal wonder. There you go. Exactly. Works. Wow. So insert your own, um, what is it, verb, doing word. Yeah. Do, <laughs> I wonder what you were going to say. Insert your own noun, naming yeah. word. Yeah. Yeah. The thing. Yeah. Um, I'm Fred, not good at that. Well, this was actually, sorry to throw you under the 90s. Uh, big oh, here we go. Here, Joel. This was kind of your idea, which I loved. We never just, I haven't quite, had never got quite got around to it. But I thought because we had Tom on, who's obviously literally written a book on the 90s, he, would, he could chip in as well. So, I mean, that's. I think we could kind of put these in small categories. So, I mean, should we start with teams, Joe? Well, I was going to say the two teams, the two teams that are famous for having one season in the Premier League, uh, is certainly Swindon Town and Barnsley. Barnsley, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And Swindon Town is always. I mean, Swindon Town, of course, hold the record for the shortest ever stay in the top division. Because, really, strictly speaking, they stayed in the in the top division for um, one season and an extra 10 days because they'd won the playoff final against Sunderland, wasn't it, in yeah. uh, 1990? And um, then got relegated for all kinds of tax dodginess and whatever the bloody hell was going on there, which meant, which makes me laugh to this day, that I think Sunderland had to play local local games on Boxing Day and uh, New Year's Day at Palace in Southampton. <laughs> See, remember, definitely uh, so a nice little trip there for the Mackens. Yeah. But yeah, Swindon Town, and, and, and so then Swindon Town worked up there in the inaugural season of um, the Premier League, and God bless them, the Whipping Boys, 100 goals. Yeah, um, the record. Course of that season, which is still the record, although they didn't get the lowest points of all time. Who did their first win come against, young Ashley? 
Um, well, thank you, um, old Joel. It came um, <laughs> yeah, and then they were the only, I think I've said this ad nauseum on this show, yeah, we, they did the double overs that season. The only team to do the, yeah, they did the double over was was us. But hey, we finished fifth, top London club, so we win. It cost you, <laughs> really, didn't it? Had it not been for that double, would you have finished in the top four as it's known yeah. now? I mean, it was. I mean, it wouldn't, yeah, it was no top four as in Champions League places. Champions League places. Can I challenge Joel on something there? I mean, we're going very Premier League heavy, and as you all know, the 90s wasn't just about the Premier League. So well, yes, yes. We're going to have to give a token mention to Notts County, surely. As, uh, oh, God, yes, sorry. Yes, um, I mean, uh, admit, admittedly, to... you did say Premier League seat one season wonders, but the, we, uh, you know, we can talk about the whole decade across the, across no, the decade. You're, and, um, you're right, of course. Neil, I mean, Notts County, Neil. God bless them. Yeah. Yeah. So who was in charge of Notts County then? Then when is that? Neil Warnock. Yeah. Came, oh, I know him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Came up in uh, 1991 and their first game was at Old Trafford. I remember. I remember that because I believe that was Peter Schmeichel's United debut. In the oh. Lessie, yeah. Yeah. Certainly, because I think he joined at the end of the previous. Kinchelsk had joined at the end of the previous season and played a couple of end of season games. But um, yeah, Schmeichel and Kinchelsk in that team, and obviously that was the famous team where United blew it. Um, That's the start of things, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I remember Notts County. I was there that day and I remember, uh, yeah, typically sunny opening day of the season as it always seemed to be back then and uh, Notts County were the opponents. So uh, Yeah, but normally in our last, our last time this as well, you know, sometimes, because, you know, being a Manchester United fan is probably easier on the first day of the season than it is for us Middlesbrough and Sheffield Wednesday and QPR fans. Are you, are you, like, what's your, your favourite opening day disaster? I remember going, where did we go? We went, I remember the three all against Liverpool that we had in the... Yeah, Ravinelli, yeah. Ravinelli, yeah, the Ravinelli hat-trick. But Bjornaby scored in the most innocuous, easy way to put us 1-0 down. And you're just like, I've waited all summer for this. <laughs> you know, like 14 minutes in. And, oh, there we go, the full-back scored. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> you're like opening day nightmares. Yeah. Have you ever had a big one of them? Yeah, it's a gl- them at Wednesday, Tom? Uh, I'm just just trying to think. Um... I've completely thrown you under the bus there with that. I can talk about QPR one. It's not 90s, but when we got promoted back to the Premier League in 2011, you know, everyone's happy with 16. Twice games. now. Twice now. You've mentioned 2000s. I know. Okay. But well, I'm just in enough <laughs> jokes. You said he did, he did preempt it. I did preempt yeah. it. But I don't, I can't remember any from the 90s, actually. I think we would, there were disasters anyway, not like this, but. Obviously, 16 years from when we were in the top flight last, which was the 90s. I'm throwing it back again. Um, <laughs> and we played Bolton at Loftus Road, which, you know, you think first day of the season, that's a pretty... You that's a decent... A, yeah, you're happy with that. Home game to start with, you know, full house. Gary Cahill knocks a 25-yarder in within minutes. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. You go on to lose 4-0 at home to Bolton. And it was kind of... that kind oh, of nice. Up, Good. You know, and I think this following season, we played Swansea. Or was that the second day? But Michu, the season, talking of one something wonders, bring it back to the theme we're talking now. Michu scored like twice on the opening day against us. I think that was the following season and we'll go on to have his like season that no one, you know, he hasn't really repeated every, anywhere since. So they would be mine. Tom, have you, has any come to mind? Yeah, I, one, I, 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 it's probably not quite a nightmare, but I remember we Wednesday played at Anfield when um, Colin Moore's made his debut in 95, 96. And he scored for 1-0. That was a great goal. I think Jamie Redknapp hit the bar as well. Um, but 
I think what I remember just coming back to what you're saying about the sunshine and everything on the first day, you know, with the, the goalies wearing the baseball caps on the first day and all the crowds <laughs> going like that. Um, yeah. I think that was that looked like one of those days, I think, when uh, that, that kind of, it was a great goal from Collymore when he kind of started really well for Liverpool that season. Yeah, I remember it well. And it was that classic day, the low sun, the shadows. Yeah. You can't, yeah. I think V-neck kit that Liverpool were wearing. I think Sheffield Wednesday had that kind of split stripes they had. It was almost like half shirts that year, was it? Well, am I thinking right? Was that that kit? Yeah, yeah. that was um, like a, a departure from our usual stripes. And yeah. it sort of, I think it's sort of Ajax-inspired different kit and it, it was it was quite quite different and looking back now I think it's quite a, quite a favourite actually in terms of the old kits for a lot of the fans yeah they're nice um, Joe I've got to snap both our hands on the wrist because we made a bit of a uh, faux pas then Swindon 93-94 mm. not 92-93 oh sorry I thought it was the first season yeah that, I just wanted to say that apologise to Swindon fans I did think it was the first season yeah because I, I was just thinking there's no Swindon player in that alive and kicking advert that's what made me think <laughs> I like that this is your point of reference on everything well, yeah. There's a reason for that, which I can't say on air, but there is a, a big reason for that at the moment, which I can I'll reveal in all good time. Oh, I know what it is. Um, yeah, you kind of know, but don't. Yeah, know. I sort of know what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a new. Um, sorry, people. I won't. I won't do it this, this is time. Good audio. <laughs> I won't have. Uh, I won't have Sid Lambert forwarding me up and berating me. No, uh, <laughs> don't talk about Sid Lambert. We're not allowed. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Sid. Right. Um, um, I was I'll say. tell you about. My, I'll tell you about. You know, if we want to talk about the polar opposite of happy days at football that then become invisible. The and we, got out the window here, but yeah, go just on. before we, just before we came on and I, and I saw that Tom had a picture of Hillsborough in the background uh, is I spent the most miserable football game of my life at Hillsborough uh, on Boxing Day of 1999. My first long-term serious proper, I was about kids one day, girlfriend had finished with me one week before. So it's Christmas as well. And we had to go to Hillsborough and Nicholas Alexanderson absolutely destroyed us in a 2-0. So that was the pits of misery. That was worse than the 42-second goal and the cup finals and all that. Although it isn't now. The cup finals hurt more now. But yeah, that was hurting more at the time. The Borough couldn't even do us a favour that day. Oh, poor, old, poor old Joel. Poor old depression. I know. Uh, right. I was going to, when you mentioned Notts County about, I don't know, two days ago, I was going to say, Matthew, they are on my list to mention. Um, I wasn't neglecting them and I'm sure Joe wasn't because they were non-Premier League, but they were um, on my list. They did have them up at some point as well. Because I remember it was Neil Warnock, Tommy Johnson. Yeah. Yep. It was that Mark Draper, Craig Shaw era. They were a decent team, but I mean, a lot of clubs that come up don't. But um, I'm t- I can't tell you how badly, you know, I assume they went down with a whimper. Um, no, I think they, they they didn't finish bottom. West Ham were bottom. Um, they went down with Luton Town. There you go. Oh, well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Then we haven't talked about Barnsley. Obviously, Barnsley would be, I, I mean, and I don't know whether Tom will agree with this, you know, obviously there being a, a slight sort of distance <laughs> issue, although, you, you know, you've got bigger fish to fry in Sheffield. But um, I seem to remember Barnsley as being quite fun. They were the ones that everybody sort of wanted to stay up that year. Do you remember? Was it 97, uh, 98? Yeah. 19th. Fern went on this run of playing for every relegated team for about the next three or four seasons or something. Yeah. Well, they were the, you know, they were the romanticising, can't they, team, weren't they, Barnsley? Everyone loved them. They come up, you know, the the Brazil thing. It was such an unlikely team to come. I mean, we, we talked about this. We did when we did our season reviews, you know, going the archives mm. and we did that season. And then we had, um, we talked about Barnsley a lot on there. Um, but yeah, Tom, you're from that part of the world. Do you remember Barnsley? I mean, that would have been a local derby as well, I suppose. What, what do you remember about Barnsley's small stint in, in Premier League history? 
Yeah, it was a great moment for the club, uh, managed by Danny Wilson, of course, former Wednesday player. Um, and had a hit in 1988 with Mary's Prayer. So, you know, that's a re... <laughs> no hit, Tom. But yeah, like I said, it, it, uh, they, I think they had the yellow, um, the yellow away kit when they were coming up and they were playing quite good football when they got promoted. So uh, it's just like watching Brazil. And I think that, um, it, it, I guess they were kind of punching above the weight a little bit to, to get in the Premier League, if that's fair enough to say, you know, as a, as a Wednesday fan. Um, but I think that a lot of people were rooting for him to, to kind of stay up. And when, when they were in the Premier League, they, they still wanted to play how, how they, they tried to play before. And, and, and they had some quite heavy defeats. I think Chelsea springs to mind. But, um, but yeah, they, they sort of enjoyed it. And certainly the fans enjoyed it, I think, that season. Yeah, they're always that go-to club as well when people talk about random Premier League players of the past. I always think of like the Eric Tinklers and the sort of Martin Bullocks who played for Barnsley. Georgie Christoph. Georgie, is he the one who didn't like the goals of Barnsley? <laughs> didn't, didn't he complain that, that yeah, all the goals in Barnsley weren't very good looking or something like that? There was a story at the time. Got no class of thinking about Northern yeah. women like that. Yeah, I, I, I thought you might have something to say about that, Joe. Yeah. I, mean, I don't. I don't oh, I'm just looking at their results now. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm bringing up hard memories when they beat Sheffield Wednesday two one. But then they four three against Southampton, uh, and they beat Liverpool, of course. Yeah, famously at Anfield. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, they're all bad news. <laughs> Actually, won. They beat, beat Man United in the FA Cup. I think. They did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they did well this season as well. I'm bringing it back again, Matthew, I know. But yeah, they're playing very good football uh, at the moment. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not outside the realms of possibility that they could well go back up. Yeah. Uh, a good side. Yeah. We could see them in uh, in the Championship, uh, sorry, in the Premier League next season. Um, and I don't think in terms of the, you know, the sort of umbrella theme we're going here, I think they, the three teams, I think, if we're talking one something, which is kind of, for them, it is one season wonders in the top flight. Mm-hmm. It's Swindon. Barnsley and as you say Notts County Matthew who were pre-Premier League Notts County is just a, like they're ones that never never get talked about are they as well it's very mm. it's, it's a bizarre notion to think of um, are they because they're non-league now aren't they yeah, yeah yeah but I mean historically they're a very you know they're very they're the oldest yeah historic club yeah so I mean why Juventus have the stripey kits yeah, exactly yeah and then they'd, they'd, they'd obviously been in the top flight a few years before that I think in the mid uh, early 80s I think they were came up um, but yeah, so I don't think it raised a lot of eyebrows when they came up, but um, I suppose that's what happens 25, 30 years, 30 years yeah. on. It, it changes a lot of things, doesn't it? Because it's like a lot of things, isn't it? When you grow up, you know, like there are certain teams that will always be big to me. I think, I'm not sure if we've had this conversation on this show, but um, there's always clubs that are big to you when you were growing up that now might be in the fourth division or non-league. Yeah, I think you know, that's what we, yeah. And I, I'll yeah, put Sheffield Wednesday in that, and I'm not just saying that, but you know, Wednesday, Forest, those kind of clubs. Well, like even even in sort of recent history, you look at Bolton Wanderers. Yeah, yeah. Bradford City also. I mean, who had a couple of seasons in the Premier League, but they were until they got the new joint managers in. They were looking very likely to be the first team who'd been in the Premier League to drop out of the league completely. And he's, they've, they've turned it around. The two lads there. Um, I mean, joking joking aside, that's where the whole thing with Luton came from because I know we we argued about it months, years yeah. ago. But you know, when you're growing up and you're watching that team under David Pleat and you know Kenilworth Road, skipping across really the pitch and all that business, yeah, and they were really good in that year. When you know, when you're growing up and those are your first sort of memories, they're the teams that you just assume they're always in the <laughs> yeah. top flight, don't you? So it's hard yeah. years later to accept that they're it was actually just a bit of a brief flirtation. 
QPR yeah. as well, of course, I put in that list. There is Middlesbrough, just never. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, did I not? Did I not mention them? Didn't mention us, no. Uh, and I think Wednesday for sure, because <laughs> I yeah, I'm with you. I remember. Where, I think because of Hillsborough as well being such a big, always having such a being a big ground in terms of you know stature. It was like it was always full, um, especially in those '90s days. And then I obviously remember obviously Wednesday winning the, the Rumbleways Cup against Man United as well. So they yeah. were always a team when I was growing up like I thought they would be around in the top flight forever I saw Tom it, it feels like a lifetime since you were there now um but I mean from a Wednesday's point of view who who would you say would that team be um I think one you mentioned before probably Forrest um yeah. because there's probably a season in the 90s where every team in the Premier League I think of being the biggest clubs and uh and Forrest were, were, were one of those and they've just been like Wednesday they've been nowhere near Premier League since then for, for such a long time yeah yeah yeah, oh yeah Forest have always caused United trouble down the years and... like, yeah I've always had a soft spot for Forest. yeah that era as well that team um as well Brian Roy Stan Collymore even before that with Pierce Des Walker you never beat Des Walker so yeah that's wrapped it up on teams I think I'm sure there's I'm just checking because we had a few uh, responses on Twitter to this um 80s and 90s football say um one season one is in the old first division Notts County Swindon and Barnsley someone's put up the Premier League sticker um that's a sticker worth of 500 words a great blog you should check out they put the sticker of Barnsley I don't think anyone mentioned any teams oh James Dixon at the fixed book this is a bit continental for us CKA uh, CSKA Moscow one giant killing wonders prior to the 90s only two seasons in European football in history. During the 90s, four out of five first round exit from Europe. The other time, come two goals to beat Barcelona. So, yeah, that's a bit of a, a continental flavour uh, to that one. But I don't think anyone mentioned any other teams, no. Right, we'll talk players and managers as well of being one-something wonders. And we may have time for a little game of England one-cap wonders as well. Join us for the second half of Alive and Kicking after this. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Welcome back to Alive and Kicking, where we're talking, well, we're talking lots of things. Sheffield Wednesday, um, opening days, but we're trying to talk about one something wonders. And we, we've kind of got there. We've talked about Swindon, Barnsley and Notts County being teams. Um, Joel, take us into managers, because, again, I don't think there's a lot of one season wonders, but there are short stints. There's of- a couple of people who've spent a calendar year at a certain club. Ooh, uh, if someone's, someone's yeah, been if we look that. at the year of... If we look at the year of 1994, covering 10 months. Yeah. Mike Walker at Everton. Yeah. Yeah. Blinking flip. Well, I mean, Mike Walker's like the go-to 90s manager, isn't he? Because he had that tremendous run as Norwich manager the season before, um, which obviously took them to Europe and Bayern Munich and all that, blah, blah, blah. And the natural progression, especially at that time, was to go to a big club and Everton were, no disrespect to Norwich, a bigger club. And it just didn't work for him. And you thought he'd then just find his level he went back to Norwich but after that other than being Ian Walker's dad you didn't really hear from him again um he it, yeah I mean you hear things about what the training was like at Everton at the time and basically he was very kind of although he wanted to play uh, attacking attractive football in terms of his disciplinarianism let's say um that was sort of very he was very um 
just very hard on the players and very standoffish and and kind of didn't particularly train them properly from what I was from what I've read about him in the past. Uh, and it was just from something that seemed like would be a good fit. And it always feels like and and, and they're there now at the minute. Is Everton are always on the verge of trying to do something. They always feel like that, or it's sort of a relegation battle. And that seems to have been the history of Everton throughout, you know, certainly even since, you know, the late 80s, especially. But yeah, he come and obviously the big win against uh, Bayern Munich that everybody talks about and, and everything. But then everything was just a disaster from day one at Everton. And, and the fact that, you know, the fact that, they saved the day uh, or in the game against Wimbledon, which was later sort of part of court proceedings and, and everything else. Um, when they were 2-0 two, two down, then 2-1 down at half-time to turn it around 3-2 and Everton stayed up. It's absolutely, you know, incredible to think how different, how different the whole of English football might have been had Everton not been in the top flight. You don't know, you know, what does that mean for Rooney a few years down the line? You know, there's, there's some, there's lots of kind of interesting things that could have happened had Everton gone down. So yeah, an absolutely disastrous time for the old toffs. Yeah, Tom, do do Norwich? I mean, I've I've only I fully admit, sort of read sort section of the book because lockdown, children, work. I'd love to sit and read a book, but that that seems far away at the moment. But did Norwich feature heavily? And did you across Norwich in in the book? Um, not so much Norwich, but uh, just just um, building on to like the Everton chat. There's there's an interview in there with Dave Watson, who was the Everton captain when he won the cup in '95, yeah. and he talks a bit about Mike Walker, and I think it mainly about how he po- probably just wasn't getting the team to play to their strengths rather than he wanted them to play in a certain way. You would you'd you'd think, and then when Joe Royal came in, he just kind of um, got them playing. You know, dogs of war and so on in midfield, and got them playing as an efficient team, and then they were a lot more successful and built and built from that. But not really Norwich, uh, too much else in the book. Mm. Well, you think of that Norwich team, you, you could call Jeremy Goss a kind of one something wonder as well, couldn't you, Matthew? I mean, Jeremy Goss was for like six months. You know, he was known for his worldies. He was the player of the moment, wasn't he? But then again, it, he never took that next level. So he's kind of a one something wonder, isn't he? You could almost say that that Norwich team of 93 yeah I mean it's a bit would be harsh to call them a one season wonder I mean Did they finished second or third I can't yeah they finished third they were they were I think they were top at Christmas and they were in that famous battle with um United and big Ron's Aston Villa um that went well it kind of went to the wire but United won it quite comfortably at the end but it didn't feel like it um if you remember Norwich was sort of setting the pace um and then they famously had that great run in Europe. So, I mean, yeah, it's harsh to say that they, they were a one-season wonder team and they've always been there or thereabouts. But, yeah, certainly that era felt like it was a, a blip, a good blip yeah. know, um, <laughs> for, for Norwich. And, um, yeah, people like Goss and obviously Sutton went on to bigger and better things. Um, but, yeah, a lot of the backbone of that team pretty much were, you know, they, they really only came to the, the fore in, what, 92, 93, 94, something like that. And then, then gloriously faded away, really, didn't they? Well, no team's been relegated more times from the Premier League than Norwich. So it says to, you know, how they're sort of, you know, obviously they're going, it looks like they're going to get promoted again this season as well. So it says their trajectory of that was very much their high. And then it's been a bit up and downy um, ever since. One manager I'd, I'd like to mention, and I, I, you guys know this because I sit in the, in the group chat, but 
he seemed so exotic at the time and he didn't do a bad job, didn't really pull up any trees at the same time. But because he was a doctor as well, Dr. Joseph Vengloss, who sadly recently was that last year, yeah, back in last year, passed away, didn't he? Um, was in charge of Aston Villa for a very short time. Um, that was a bit really random kind of pick, especially for the early 90s, wasn't it, Joe? Was he on your list? Uh, he was, yeah. I mean, he was. <laughs> there's a possibility to say he was ahead of his time. Yeah, really. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think when he was in charge of Villa, it was, when was that, 1990? Did he take over from Graham Taylor then? Yes. Yesterday, yeah. 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 So 1991, he comes in, and, and you can imagine it's, suppose it's sort of similar, <laughs> slightly similar of going from, from George Graham to Arsene Wenger, but without Bruce Rioch in the middle, maybe, you know, <laughs> and just somebody being so different and so uh, ahead of the time. But, but yeah, I mean, that was the thing. He was very much about uh, about the sports science and psychology and, and all that kind of thing, wasn't he? So, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, and he was the first manager born outside Britain or Ireland uh, to manage in the top flight. So yeah. there you go. There's, my, there's a fact about him. Do we know anything more about... I mean, I, we should know that. I should certainly know it. I mean... What were his credentials for getting that job? I mean, did he? He was. He'd been manager of Czechoslovakia. Yeah. So for a second time, I think he was a manager in the sort of early 80s as well as, as Czech manager. Um, yeah. As well. So, and he obviously went on to manage Celtic, which people obviously forget in later in the 90s as well. A very short stint um, at the back end of the decade at Celtic. But I just, he's one that always, I think, you know, it's very early on in that, in, in this decade. And when I was, get into football and it just seems so exotic that a he was a foreign manager which as you say joe he's the first and it, you know now it's more the, the rule more than the, the you know what, what actually happens with british managers but and the fact that he was called a doctor as well i couldn't get that in my head <laughs> he was a manager but he's also a doctor as well are there any other doctors in any other doctors in football dr socrates who used to play for brazil he was a doctor nigel atkins was a physio wasn't he before he became a manager i don't know if that means you're a doctor my medical knowledge is not is not great mm. so. well, we don't know what he was a doctor in do we don't know what vengosh was a doctor in do we i, I mean it could have been Let's have a look if I see it on his... Is he on held his... a doctorate in physical yeah. education and also specialised in psychology. There you go. Wow. Yeah. It's like we had Alexa in the room then. Thank you. Yeah, you don't, don't say that. You'll set Alexa off. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> many managers for you that's, that we haven't really mentioned. Um, the short stints at Sheffield Wednesday was there. I don't remember. I mean, you had some caretaker short stints, but there wasn't really a, a one-something, if I remember, in the 90s, was there? Uh, not really. There was... Um... So Peter Shreves took over caretaker manager just as we were That's getting. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, after Danny Wilson um, and Shreves was manager a few years later, again he sort of stayed at the club. Um, David Pleat was there for a couple of seasons, two or three seasons. So we had quite a lot of um, consistency actually. I, back in the early nineties, after Howard Wilkinson and before Ron Atkinson. So actually, late eighties would be Peter Eustace. He didn't last very long, but, but yeah, we had quite a few. Yeah, we were fairly settled, I think, during that decade. Yeah. 18 games for Peter Eustace. There you go. I think the other one to mention quickly before we move on and open it up to, to the players is, is, is Christian Gross. He's obviously the obvious one at Spurs who who came in. And again, it's the same, it's the same as we mentioned with Villa a minute ago. It was the, the same, as we called it, Walter version of Arsene Wenger, wasn't it? Because they tried to make... I think we talked about this before yeah. and it did, it did seem like sugar, Alan Sugar at 
Tottenham was just trying to play keeping up with the Joneses by getting Christian Gross in. I mean, because they've done... And then George Graham was after that, wasn't he? So they were doing this sort of weird stuff where it was where Arsenal was always the most important thing for Tottenham and Christian Gross was certainly part of that. But his card was marked the minute he got there and, and held up the travel card and everybody <laughs> laughed. <laughs> um, and, and, and that was, you know, that was it when he said, like, I am one of the fans and I am this. And people were just like, and straight, it, it's really funny how, you know, you, you never get the second chance, a second chance to make a first impression. But, I mean, he was finished right from that. I mean, talk about one something wonders, one press conference wonder, yeah. Christian Gross. <laughs> Almost, because yeah. he was he was literally finished straight away because people thought oh Matt this might be quite interesting and then people had a thing and and that that is all he's been remembered for and I think he went to Basel later on and did reasonably well with them and you know I did not a not a, you know didn't go pulling up any trees but a decent career but uh, especially the press of the standard I mean for somebody like me in the north and I imagine uh, the same for Tom it's like I didn't care about what a travel card meant. You know? <laughs> It didn't mean anything to us. Yeah, I barely knew what one was. But the fact that it was somehow a reason to mock him yeah. became it was it was really quite an interesting an interesting thing. And of course he, you know, when it came down to it, he just wasn't cut out for that league. And you know, some you know, we've all had duffer managers at, at one point and he was one of Tottenham's several. Yeah. I, he could call Stuart Houston a kind of one almost season and a bit wonder for QPR because he was our manager um, after we got relegated and then never did was never a manager again he was also George Graham's long-term assistant um, then Bruce Rioch's assistant but then he, he got his own job at QPR and did started off okay then went worse and worse and worse and worse and before he, he was out of a job and we had Rioch as assistant hmm. so that's, that's definitely one I would mention 2000 and 2001 you know with Terry Venables for us but yeah sorry sorry yeah. Talking of Rioc, how, how long was Rioc at Arsenal for then? Was one that season, buffering? not even one season. Not even a season, I don't think, no. Yeah. But he bought them Bergkamp, didn't he? Yeah. And uh, David David Platt, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he wasn't even there a season. And then Pat Rice took over before Wenger was announced. And then it became, he's come here, from Japan. Yeah, from Japan. Um, that's, that's opening up to players then. So, I mean, I think the obvious thing to say here, and it's something I noticed when I was researching it as well, there isn't an obvious candidate. Like, Marcus Stewart is always the one people go to, but that was 2000s and 2001, I think. So, very, you know, we just missed out a decade. And then he, we've talked about Michu, and then you had Amir Zaki very much later on in the, in, in the 2000s as well. Like, I don't think the 90s has a player that sort of had to find a one-season wonder, but there were short stints. And one player that, that appeared on Twitter when I asked the question, and it was perfect, almost like the stars aligned because we've got Tom on, was the name of Richie Humphreys, a Sheffield Wednesday player who was, you know, burst on the scene, talented for massive things, but quickly he was gone again. Tell us, Tom, about the legend of Richie Humphreys as a one-something wonder of the 90s? So Richie Humphreys, you probably could say one-month wonder um, for his <laughs> for Wednesday during that time. So it started the 96-97 season. Wednesday were top of the league after four matches. Um, and Richie Humphreys, I think because David Hurst and Mark Bright might have not been available to play, was played up front. He was he was he's from Sheffield and sort of came through um, the academy and whatnot. And he scored three goals to help Wednesday be top of the league. And uh, there were some great goals. Great one at Leeds, a wonderful one against Leicester at Hillsborough, where he uh, he kind of ran from I think it, almost the centre circle and 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 chipped the keeper. And he was he was great for us. But then never really happened for him after that. Didn't make many more appearances. His last appearance, I think, was 
in the Sheffield Derby, the first Sheffield Derby after Wednesday got relegated in 2000 or 2001. Um, I think he played left back or something strange like that. Uh, I don't know why he certainly wasn't playing up front. Um, and then after that, but you know, he sort of he, he left Wednesday. But I think the big thing for for Richie Humphries is I think he played nearly 500 games for Hartlepool. And yeah, he's a big. He's a big hero um, on T side. Yeah, really, really. And he was always a good buy on Championship manager. Good, yeah, he's a good champ player, definitely. He was still playing in 2017. <laughs> That's mad. Kept himself fit. Yeah, kept himself fit. He's playing for Chesterfield in, in 2017. That's uh, and he's down as Wikipedia as a utility player. So that's clearly where his left backness comes from. Um, mm. Although, yeah, I Matthew, you don't get that expression anymore, do you? No, utility, utility player. player no. yeah. Same like you don't get player manager. Yeah. No. Yeah. What were you going to ask Matthew, Joe? I was going to ask Matthew. Can he tell us all about William Pruney? Oh, you stole me. No. Like <laughs> no. I, I can't Sorry. because I, t- I can't because I told it. What, what year was he playing? Remind me again. 97, was it? Yeah, no, see, I told you on this. Show. I thought it was 95. 95. Yeah. No, I think I told you on this show before. After after about 92, 93, my, uh, my sort of geeky knowledge of these United players seems to wane. So coincidentally with the introduction of alcohol and, and women. And gambling. Uh, gambling. You're on, you're on <laughs> well, speakeasy. That was, that was going on from about 1988. But, um, yeah, the Matthew Chris speakeasy of highway. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think you should tell me about it because uh, we've got Alexa in the corner there. So why don't we... Uh, I'm not going to ask Alexa about uh, William Prudier. Well, so, she's got the notes about William Prudier. I do. I mean, well, he made his debut against QPR, which is why he always sticks out in my mind, um, partnering Gary Neville in the centre of defence. What um, season was that? That was 95-96. That wasn't the opening game of the season, was it? No, it was the Chris, around Christmas, I think it was, around the Christmas oh, right. day. Because I remember United having QPR on the opening day of the season. Maybe that was 93, 94. That, no, that was later because that was Kevin Gallon's debut. So that would have been the season after, I think. Or maybe yeah, that was that I, season and that was the return fixture. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. The, I'm sure that was the day that Klinsman made his debut at uh, Hillsborough, that be, actually. That would be the season before, yeah, 94, 95. Yeah. That would work with 94, Gallen. 95. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember being there that day. And, and coming out after the game and people talking about Klinsman, uh, you know, setting the world alight. And uh, so that would have added up. That would have been about the, the same period, wouldn't it? Yeah. I also remember it. I also remember it because Brian McClare scored that day. Yeah, as well. yeah, of course, yeah. Brian, well, I was going to say Brian McClare's a one season one, but he wasn't. Jürgen Klinsman, <laughs> you could put down as a one season wonder, really, couldn't you? But in the very good terms because of what he did. I mean, I know he came back again. Came back, yeah. That little stint. But um, Tom, I mean, when we talk about 90s, I mean, he's, an, he's very much, I always think when we think, the progression, as you said at the top of the show, it changed. Jurgen Klinsmann is one of those reasons why it changed in his season at Spurs, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think um, particularly the the players that were being signed by the Premier League clubs from the mid nineties onwards were just really helping transform the league. Write about it a lot in the book, but the examples of Zola at Chelsea, uh, a lot of the Middlesbrough players, of course. Rav- I mean, Ravinelli was you'd seen him on um, Italian football programme on Channel 4 and then in the Champions League and then suddenly Middlesbrough had signed him for a lot of money Bergkamp I still can't believe it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've told this story a million times and I'm just going to do it again very quickly but I found out that we'd signed Ravinelli just from having the telly on and um, Wimbledon was on and they broke into a game at Wimbledon Desmond Lyon sitting there going we're just going to interrupt this match to uh, give you a little bit of football news Middlesbrough have signed Middlesbrough 
have signed a Juventus striker, Fabrizio Ravinelli, and Des goes, he's the one with the grey hair, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> It goes to £7.5 million. So you've heard that right. Middlesbrough have signed one of the best strikers in the world for £7.5 million. It's like, what? <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, boys. You've heard that story a million, million, million. It's, n- it's never a bad thing here. It's but, um, so, um, I mean, we had, we had millions of players that came in for 20 minutes and then just, you know, cleared off again. Emerson among them. Christian Zieger. I think there was 99 came in, might be. We had, the, uh, we had the famous case of Ned Zellick, who was signed in sort of the summer of 95 with, with the money that we got from Les Ferdinand, um, mm. left within six months because he just wasn't very versatile good. Versatile as an egg. Yeah as, yeah, as Ray Wilkins said, versatile as an egg. Which versatile as an egg. And Marco Bogus, of course. I mean, there was a lot of them at West Ham that we talked about last time, really. Yeah, Flora Madagoyou, yeah. Uh, I yeah, you'd have to Bogus. put, from a United's point of view, I suppose you'd have to put Taib, Massimo Taibi in there, wouldn't you? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, was uh, he ninety nine? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, and he had about four games and the goal against Southampton. Mm. Yeah. But did, legs. I always think the, the the sting in the towel that they don't tell of the Taibi story wasn't he man of the match in the game before the South famous. Yeah, Anfield? I think he played. He, he played in a game away at Anfield. I think. Yeah, he, and yeah. Won. yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the ta- that's the detail that nobody. No. Nobody likes to mention. I suppose it doesn't make a good story, but I, I do get the feeling there was probably more to it than that one mistake. There must have been. Because I mean, yeah. Well, then they bounced around for a while with keepers, didn't they? Sort of Bosnia. Yeah. I mean, we all remember uh, keepers have all made mistakes. I remember Eric Torsvet making a terrible error on his debut on the, the was it on the match. Then that it might have been late eighties, um, and he let one through his hands at White Hart Lane, and you know everyone thought, well, that's him finished, and he, he went on to have a great career. So, you know, I think it, you, it's got to be more to it than just one mistake. I think. Yeah. Maybe Fergie, Fergie didn't fancy him. Maybe he didn't fancy him. Expression. Yeah. Um, going back to the Twitter feed, we've got a few men- names mentioned uh, on here. William Trune comes up. Um, Ali Deer, of course, that famous, <laughs> that, you know, which we've been told. And what made. a remarkable story that he, he went for. Well, he went on as a sub because they were, because Southampton were down at the bare bones and Sudis was in charge and put him on. And, but Letizia says, and I don't know how, how you can take anything Letizia says seriously, but that's another subject. Um, Letizia said he was just a complete, um, like they knew in training he was horrible, yeah. but they were so desperate and he went on uh, and then they took him back off after 26 minutes because he was just that appalling. But what a scam. I mean, everybody here knows the story, but what an amazing sort of scam tale. Like, yeah. I, I think you're right. I've spoken to a few people and you probably have as well that have played in these sort of uh, six aside games at ex-pros you know players like John Barnes yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. obviously now well past their time well overweight what have you but they they always say to you you can tell they still got it or that you could tell yeah. they're professional you know just in their first touch or whatever it's that and, thing do you know do you know like when they do um soccer aid and they do uh they used to do a thing on sky called the match where they would try they would put like Bobby Robson in charge of 10 of 20 yeah. celebrities and try to make a team out of it and I used to go they're never going to win because no matter how much fitter they are than them, no matter how enthusiastic they are, they're still playing against former England internationals. Mm. They've got the ability to see where the ball should go and see the game four or five moves ahead, ahead of that and just do well, that's, that. That's why it's amazing how he got as far as he did, that no one actually thought that, well, obviously they did think this guy isn't the real deal, because but no one actually <laughs> flagged it cousin. up. Come on, he's George Weir's oh. cousin. Of course he's going to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's I think then he went on to blight Spartans and yes, yeah, exactly. there's anything um, wrong with the Spartans. 
Robert, um, in, Robert Insney, I think his name is. Sorry if I got your name wrong, mate. Um, he says Mark Atkins at Blackburn, who was in that squad that people forget that he was there. That's um, and Like Tony Gill was there as well. Tony Gale was there. Mark Steen's first six months at Chelsea. I remember that. He came on, exploded. You forgot that Mark Steen really existed. And then he came back <laughs> and scored some goals. Excellent. Um, uh, he also mentioned. Why don't you just join the Hatters if you love them so much? I, I, I'm just sticking up for them because you pretended they didn't exist. No. We had an art, a six month argument. You noticed I've been doing argument because I'm going to say he's also mentioned at the end of his tweet. Uh, and Dennis Bailey on the first of the first 1990, which is wrong actually. It's it's 99. Oh, this again. Uh, yeah, there's your bingo card, May United. If, you, if you're going to get a, a statistic wrong, mate, don't get that one wrong don't get that on wrong. this mm. program. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, I think that's the rest of the yeah the players. Um, Graham Fenton is one. When I think of Richie Humphreys, for some reason, Graham Fenton sparks to mind as well because he had the same trajectory, didn't he, Tom? Kind of, he, I think he was at Blackburn and then Villa and he kind of popped up, scored a few goals and then kind of went away again. It's kind of that ilk of striker, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sort of um, did, did enough um, to make you remember who they were all these years later, but then uh, didn't really have the career they might, might have expected because didn't Fenton start at Newcastle or somewhere yeah, like that yeah. yeah I see it Newcastle yeah he was about wasn't he and yeah. he scored against them didn't he he scored against them for Blackburn I'm like, I'm like, yeah but that was the bottle night it was Tim Flowers I don't need any bottle who says we've got bottle that famous interview I think it was that yeah night. and then he and, and Fenton scored the goal and, and, and you know did that thing which I hate which is didn't celebrate it yeah, totally. Um, Joel, um, before we play maybe a mini game, if we squeeze that in, have you got any players on your list you wanted to run through? Because I know you're the one. But it's just the usual suspects, isn't it, for yeah. me? <laughs> the usual. But, but yes, you know, I think Ziga was 99. Have we mentioned King Cladsey? Or does he not? Well, I said yeah. about King Cladsey in the, pre, in the pre-show chat, and he did play one season in the Premier League and then stayed another couple of seasons, about a season, an extra season and a half with yeah. Manchester City. But obviously, uh, Andy Tasker will be very unhappy <laughs> We mentioned what I did find out today is that when he when we beat them 4-1 at our place and Cladzi scored the opener the Borough fans voted him uh, best opposition player of the year oh really this thing that City won in the 1990s yeah wasn't a great decade for them um, anyone else want to throw Matthew you want to throw any more players in I'm sure there's one with many we forgot but we're going to wrap this up here and, and do a little uh, England game but is there anyone else you wanted to mention no no I mean like I say King Cladsey came to mind but I did think I was doing him an injustice because I'm sure you know I'm sure he was more than a one one season wonder but um, I mean you could argue he was a one goal wonder just from that, that well, effort yeah. well, against Southampton Tony Yeboah was a once. I know he was there slightly longer, but people... Well, you got in trouble the other week for slagging off Tony Yeboah, so yeah, be careful. Yeah. I should get in trouble. Yeah, I did. I was <laughs> slagging him off. I just, you know, he, he was in our team of the night. He was quintessentially 1990s. Tom, there's a few at Wednesday that I always think of quickly. Um, like Jules the Builder. He's somebody that I remember that sort of came and went. Not quite a wonder in any sense of the word. Um, but was it Sibon? Was that another one, the tall guy you had as well? It's all the end of that Premier League era. Yeah, that was it. We signed we signed uh, the builder who was, I guess, quite a well known international yeah. when we signed him, um, and Sabon as well f- um, from Holland. And they didn't really do it. They scored a few goals when we got relegated in in two thousand, and then the builder stayed. I think another season. Sabon stayed for quite a few seasons actually, and, and did all right in in the second tier with us. Um, we had another one as well, Wim Yonk, who would sign yeah. after the World Cup. God, I forgot all about that. He was at Wednesday. Yeah, crikey. I do called uh, Giles the Builder Bob. Yeah, they did call him Bob, didn't they? Did was they that? call him Bob? I seem to remember that. Yeah, yeah I think they did. Uh, <laughs> I think think there was uh, that might have been like a chant for him, uh, the builder. Um, <laughs> but 
it were that was after Di Canio had left, uh, and I guess these were the the players they were trying to replace them. But, but I mean, how, how long that, was? Sorry, go on. Carry on. No, sorry, go on. I was going to say, how long was Carboni at Wednesday? Yeah, not long. Uh, he was. Yeah, not not too long. He was a bit of a wonder. He kind of uh, when he when he signed him when we signed him from Inter Milan, he scored some great goals, and and uh, he was there before Di Canio. And then at one point, it was Di Canio and Carboni together up front. Uh, that was under Ron Atkinson, but then they sort of fell out of favour a little bit under Danny Wilson. Di Canio pushed the referee over, obviously, and then never played the Wednesday again. Uh, but yeah, we uh, we had we had a few players like that, and I think Yonk as well was a bit of a. Um, it, you know a, what looked like a good signing from the World Cup and played for Inter Milan in that in, in the past, but uh, just never did it for Wednesday. Mm. Yeah, Lim okay. Right to end the show, we're going to do England one cap wonders. So oh, God. in the nineties, <laughs> there were eight players who got one cap playing for England. So I'll go round. We'll just do one because otherwise we could be here all day. But see if anyone can work out or guess. Um, start, Matthew, let's start with you. Can you guess one of the eight players who only got one England cap in the 1990s? Well, I'm going to cheat slightly, but I'm going to... It's either one or the other. Didn't... Is it Bruce or Pallister? No, neither. Neither got any. Pallister played quite a lot. Bruce, I, I don't know. I don't, Pallister's got a few caps. Bruce has none. Bruce, yeah, Bruce never got one, no. Um, well, I've blown my chance then. I mean... So there's nine, not eight. I've just miscounted, but yeah. Uh, cool, one it's got to be a left-sided player, isn't it? <laughs> Hinchcliffe or... Uh, uh, it certainly wasn't Sinton, was it? Because Sinton had a few more than... Yeah, because he's brilliant. Yeah, he had a few. Yeah. Uh, uh, pass. You're out of time. Go on, Joe. Can you give us a couple? Well, he's got the one I can remember is... Start. The one I really remember is David Unsworth against Japan. Yeah, Japan. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. I must have another one. Did somebody... Uh, yes. Chris Sutton only get one? Yes, Chris Sutton, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He says, looking at his notes. He says, looking at Wikipedia. November 97 <laughs> against Cameroon. Okay, anyway, I've got it on my Wikipedia. Yeah. Tom, can you can you add any more to that? Um, one I'm thinking of is... Steve Guppy, if that. Oh yes, left side. That was the left-sided one. Yeah, yeah at yeah, Leicester against Belgium. Yeah, when he was at Leicester. The others to make up that nine. So in chronological order: Mark Walters in June '91 against New Zealand. Uh, David White uh, September '92 uh, against Spain, wearing the greatest England kit of all time, which people know it is. Uh, Kevin Richardson, May 94 against Greece. Neil, Neil Ruddock, November 94 against Nigeria. David Answorth, we mentioned. Chris Sutton, we mentioned. Steve Guppy, we mentioned. And the other one, it was Lee Hendry, 18th. Oh, well, my least favourite commentator. That's good. Yeah, he's not very good. November 98. Remember, it was a storming debut as well. People thought he was going to go on, but uh, no, he didn't against Czech Republic. So they were. It's just yeah. like a 90s Jack Grealish. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Villa fans <laughs> won't appreciate that. I quite rated Lee Hendry at that back end. Um, so, yeah, you go. There are your one cap wonders. And that is your kind of one something wonders show wrapped up. I'm sure there's many names, teams, players we haven't mentioned. But if you want to get involved, hit us up on Twitter at AK90s and, and get involved in the conversation. Um, where can people find you, Joel, on the Soch? Oh, I'm back. Uh, yeah, I'm better <laughs> than ever. Now. Joel, for the I'm record. Back now. 
50k um, tweet, Joe. I should have said that at the top of the show, shouldn't yeah, I? Yeah, well, not a 60k tweet, oh, Joe. <laughs> and I had another one that was two th- that, that was 20,000, and I had another one that was another 16,000. Yeah, very, very well, of which very good tweets there. They weren't football, none of which football. were about 90s football, though. No, they one weren't. of them was about 90s pop music, yeah, true. Yeah. But yeah, I said that the most disappointing moment of the 1990s was hearing the rest of Spaceman by Babylon Zoo. Yeah, it's a yeah, terrible song. 16,000. Like, it's all the beginning's great, and then the rest yeah. horrible. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's this famous account. Uh, it's Joel's tweets, all one word. It's Joel's tweets. Come and say hello. And Matthew, where can people find you and your top 20, what is it, 25 podcasters in that chart? To 23 at the minute. 23, um, sorry. Yeah, that way you can hear me and Brian McClare on Live with Brian, the Brian McClare podcast, um, at Brian McClare pod on Twitter or at Matthew J. Christ on Twitter and Instagram as well. There you go. Tom, are you on the social at all? Or if not, just plug the book. Yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll just plug the book if that's all right. So uh, <laughs> when, when the seagulls follow the trawler, football in the 90s, it's out from Pitch Publishing and it's available uh, hopefully in the shop soon when they, when they open and... Uh, from Amazon, etc., as well. So, uh, I just want to get that's me. I feel like we should big up pitch public publishing because they seem to be sort of supporting loads of people doing yeah. getting into the nooks and crannies of all kinds of different sorts of football. Obviously, we've had Tom on here, but then we had Tom Flight on before, and his stuff was through pitch. Uh, Paul Armstrong's stuff is through pitch. Are you looking so for some new like... books by any chance, Joey? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> looking for some Christmas presents by any chance. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but they seem, are, they, are they good to work with? They seem like they're quite open and quite, you know, they're quite receptive to ideas, knowing that if you can write a story about a, a certain club of a certain era, then it'll do, they think, they, they seem to think it'll do a certain amount of business to a core amount of people. I think that's really interesting. I think so. I think they're a great publisher. I'm not just saying that. Um, uh, this is the second book I've written uh, with Pitch. Uh, Paul and Jane are fantastic. They do, and they support so many authors as well. I mean, I've I've read the the Middlesbrough one. I've just read one on um, a guy who's writing about following football in Argentina, which is brilliant as well. There's so many different areas, and, and there's sort of something for everyone. And, and if you're interested in football books, so yeah, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah, uh, Mark as well. We had last time Mark Warden who did the London Fields book. That's uh, yes, pitch as well. So no, they're very good, as you say. Um, Paul and Jane, good stuff. And you'll hear a lot more of pitch publishing on this show as well. With a little spoiler, but until then, this has been Alive and Kicking. And until next time, as always, keep it nineties. Alive and kicking.